Y'all, have you ever found yourself longing for something? Or have you found yourself longing for a place? Or maybe someone? Maybe someone, or some of you are sitting here right now thinking be on that beach right now. So good. Be my bed napping right now would be amazing. Or maybe there, there's family far from you that you haven't seen in a while. A sense of, of longing. I had the opportunity to serve as a counselor at um, our fourth and fifth grade camp this year um, in uh, Riley and Avery, given the, <laughs> the cheer right here. Um, so I got to be a counselor in one of the boys' cabins uh, along with Pastor Matt and um, his brother, and then we had a 16-year-old counselor in training who had no idea what he was in for working with us as counselors. But as, as we are in this fourth and fifth grade boys' cabin, we found some longing happening, some longing for mama, some of them away from home for the first time, and just the tears that would come from these boys who are missing their mom. And I'm not going to be the tough guy and say, I told him to buck up because you know what? I was a mama's boy. <laughs> and I could empathize in a way that I was like, oh, Lord, thank you for redeeming all of those times that I cried in front of my friends. Um, <laughs> But that sense of longing and for home for these kids who had, been, had never been away overnight before at a camp like this. We had tons and tons of fun during the day, but when bedtime was coming, they knew that that was coming. And that would just kind of be an overwhelming sense in, um, in that space. And so the longing that would happen just gave me a sense of, of some of the longing that we're going to see in our psalm today. The longing for me by the end of that week was for my own bed and my own shower because there was no AC in those cabins uh, and it was a hot July time. Riley and Avery are rubbing in that the girls' cabins have AC and the boys do not. So, um, But as we get into our psalm today, there is an overwhelming sense of longing. And this psalm is a little bit different from one, ones we have been through before. We've talked about the book of Psalms as this prayer book for God's people. And it is his prayer, prayer book for God's people through the ages. And there are different types of psalms that we have looked at before. Psalms of praise, psalms of adoration, psalms of confession, psalms of lament. But today we come to a psalm of pilgrimage, a, song, a psalm of journey. And as we think about God's people and journeying, are there times in their past that you can think that they were journeying, that there was a pilgrimage happening? Of course, the wandering in the desert for 40 years, right? There is, there is a journey that they didn't know when it would end. But as God's people got established in the promised land, and as David comes to power as king, there becomes this regular 
cycle of pilgrimage. That there are three main festivals that the people of Israel would find themselves coming to Jerusalem, coming to the place, the, the Zion of, um, of God's people, where they would come and worship together. Those three festivals are remembering the Passover, right, as the people of Israel are freed from slavery in Egypt, remembering that and coming out of Egypt. That of Pentecost. Pentecost, not just on this side of the Holy Spirit coming, but Pentecost was the remembrance of the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And so that was one of the festivals where they would make that pilgrimage as well. And then that of Sukkot or tabernacles, where they would remember how God dwelled with them in the tabernacle, the tent that they would set up every time they set up camp. They would set up the tabernacle that God's presence would dwell with them in the wilderness. And so this psalm of pilgrimage would be one that they are reciting, that they are remembering on their journey to Jerusalem. So remember, as God's prayer book, this is not something that they would just pray once. This is not something they would just read once, but they come back to it over and over and over again to the point of it being um, in their memory, that they would be able to just recite it, that they would sing it along the road as they traveled. And as we're looking at the Psalms through this series of praying the Psalms, we're really looking at the psalm kind of in its, in its original context or to the ancient people of Israel, looking at it through the lens of what might the people of Jesus' day be hearing this psalm? How would they be hearing it and experiencing it? And then what is it saying to us today? How are we praying it? Because this is timeless, that it, it speaks to us through the ages. And so what is it speaking to us today? Without further ado, Psalm 84 is our psalm for the day. It was there on the Sunday page if you want to read along with me, and we will, we will take it here from verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. 
No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So we find Israel on pilgrimage, longing to be in this place. Right? And in the place of God's dwelling, they are longing for the presence of God. So when it talks about the courts of the Lord, it gives us the temple, the temple imagery, because there are inner courts and outer courts, and that is, it was the center of community for the people of Israel, the temple built there in Jerusalem, built by King Solomon. It's where the presence of the Lord dwelled, right? The presence of the Lord dwelled with them in the tabernacle in the wilderness, And then it finds home in this built temple by Solomon. And Solomon says, this is going to be the greatest of temples because our God is greater than any other God. As the center of of life in Jerusalem, not everybody lived in Jerusalem, right? Not everybody lives in Chapel Hill, but we come to the varsity, right? This is, this is, not just where God dwells in this place, though behind the curtain right there, the Holy of Holies. We'll talk, <laughs> really, um, well, if you want to find your way back there on the setup team, we will gladly welcome you. Um, but the, the Holy of Holies is the very center of, of this temple, right? And so people are journeying pilgrimage from all of these places into Jerusalem. And they find themselves in the courts of the temple, the courts of the Lord. So they're doing life there. There is a sacrificial system where they are making sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins, to be in right relationship with God. But in the center of that temple is the Holy of Holies, where it is believed that God's presence dwelled. And no one was ever allowed to go in, with the exception of, of one day, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies. So the twofold side of, of this, this longing and the hearers in its original context, and we, we don't know exactly when this psalm was written, but it is believed that it is written right before the exile, uh, where people were taking, taken from the promised land, from Jerusalem, into exile in Babylon. And so for the original hearers, thinking they are living at a distance from Jerusalem, trying to come to that place, everybody would come to worship there. And so they're reciting this psalm as they come. But then those festivals, those festivals bring forth memories, sweet, sweet memories of the experience of coming to Jerusalem, where they remember his mighty acts of freedom on their behalf, right? Freedom from slavery in Egypt, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the laws for their protection, remembering God's provision for them in the wilderness. And so they're remembering They're experiencing it as they come, but they're also remembering those who have gone before them 
and coming to this place. But then for those, as the, the book of Psalms was compiled in Babylon, as the people were in exile, those special memories were distant. Those experiences that if, if they were even alive then to have had those experiences, they are distant because they are taken from their land. The temple is destroyed and God's presence leaves that place. And so to be in exile, to be separated from their home, to be separated from their place of worship with no ability to actually journey back there for pilgrimage, still they have this psalm, this psalm of pilgrimage, that as they are God's chosen people still in a foreign land, because they decided again to go their own way, believing that their ways are better than God's ways. And despite repeated warnings from prophets, the Lord speaking to them, they continued to trust in their own strength, their own means, and their own provision, instead of the better way that God had for them. They put their trust in the things of the world and the ways of the world and the culture around them, their own abilities instead of the Lord's. And their longing, their longing in that place of exile was even greater than when they were in their land and journeying to Jerusalem. Now they can't even journey to Jerusalem for those festivals and for that worship. So there's a memory and remembrance that they have. And as they are remembering, going on down in verse 3, there's a remembering even of the sparrows and the swallows flying through the temple. Close your eyes for just a moment and imagine whatever the temple looks like for you. This open space. that has a closed off inner part that is the Holy of Holies. And as you're standing there in the courts, seeing the birds fly in and out of that holy place. Can you see the birds? Sparrows and swallows flying freely into that holy place. That picture that though we couldn't go in, the people of Israel couldn't go in, the birds could. They could get as close to God as anyone, as his presence was dwelling there in that holy place. All right, you can open your eyes. I don't want you to fall asleep. But they make their, the birds are making their nests even close to the altar that their young could be born in those places. That God's creation drawing near even in that place. And so the, the remembrance of that, even from a distance, to think of those birds getting close. There's something about sparrows in Scripture 
You remember other times when sparrows are mentioned. There are things that come to mind. Maybe you're singing his eyes on the sparrow in your head right now. But right, sparrows are the imagery that Jesus uses for his disciples and for the crowds to hear. That one, sparrows don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. God's provision is there for them. And then the thought that even, not even one sparrow falls from the sky that the Lord doesn't know. That he is that closely tied to his creation. And so this imagery of the sparrow for us in this psalm, drawing close to God, that his closeness is his connectivity to his creation. There are three times in this psalm where he, we, we see there is a blessing. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And blessed are those who trust, the one who trusts in the Lord. Blessing upon blessing for those who dwell in the house of the Lord, for those who journey and come to that place, and those who trust in the Lord. And in order to make that pilgrimage, they traveled through valleys and over mountains, and particularly this valley of Baca. It's not actually known that that is a real, an actual place. It's actually an idea similar to that of the darkest valley in Psalm 23, but particularly a dry desert place. The Valley of Baca is referring to an arid desert place. But as the people pass through and as they are on this pilgrimage, it says it becomes places of springs, that the rains actually cover it with pools. And that is because of, the God, of God's presence with them as they go. From strength to strength. Till each appears before God in Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. And so as they, they are journeying to that place, calling on the Lord for his strength, hear my prayer, Lord Almighty calling on the Lord for their provision and their sustenance to make it to that place, remembering God's provision in the desert as they go. And better is one day in your courts. This is probably the most famous part of this psalm, and it sticks out. And when I think of Psalm 84, it is, it is the first part that has come to mind. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That longing. And once they've experienced it, they want to be back. They want to be back in the presence of God. Particularly for those as they are reciting this, remembering this from that place of exile. 
separation from their home. That they know, they've tasted, and they've seen what it's like to be in the presence of God. And so they're, they're longing and yearning for that place. It's better than a thousand elsewhere. Just to have one day back in that place. Even to the point that they would rather be a doorkeeper. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. You think about the role of doorkeeper. We don't have a whole lot of doorkeepers in the world around us today. Sometimes when I think of that, I think about the role of janitor. <laughs> um, would I rather be a janitor in God's house than doing something um, elsewhere? If that is my calling to be a custodian cleaning the floors, my friend um, Adam from seminary, uh, many moons ago, um, he was so wanting to experience God's presence and wherever he went, he would show up to gas stations, he would show up to restaurants, particularly in parts of town that you may not want to go to in Lexington, Kentucky. And he would show up with a toilet brush and some rags and some bleach to say, can I clean your bathroom? Just because he felt like that was what God was asking him to do, to experience the humility of stepping in to someone's space to show them how much God even cares about the state of their holy of holies in that place. To show up and clean it, to offer to clean it. You can imagine the look on the face of the person behind the counter in that gas station. <laughs> but it was a way to experience what this is like to be a doorkeeper or whatever you want to put in that place. Someone pretty low on the hierarchy that our world sets up around us. I would rather be that person. I would rather be in that place than to be apart from God. And they are finding themselves, right, apart from God in exile in Babylon. The, the script flips a bit for us, though, as we think about this in Jesus' day and what it is still even saying to us today. Blessed is one who trusts in you to trust in the Lord. Trust is hard for me. I don't know about, about you. Anybody else have trust issues? You don't have to raise your hand. To trust, even though the Lord shows up over and over and over again. I still have trouble trusting. But blessed is one who trusts in the Lord. As Jesus comes on the scene and his ministry is underway, 
He is showing us a different way, calling us to trust in him, understanding that the temple, though it had been destroyed and the people came back, some people came back from Babylon and they actually rebuilt the temple that would have been there in Jesus's day. The dwelling of the Lord there was a better way than just being in one place. Jesus says, particularly to the religious leaders of his day, as they are questioning him about the way that he is doing ministry and that he would allow people to glean from the fields on the Sabbath, he's breaking Sabbath law. Jesus says, there's one greater than the temple here in your midst. Because see, the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In John 1, the word became flesh. I like the way the message puts it, that God put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He came that we could see his glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. On this side of Jesus, the incarnate Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection and ascension, the presence of God is not bound to the physical structure built by human hands not in the temple in Jerusalem, not in the varsity in Chapel Hill, but is living in the beautiful hand-crafted vessel of human hearts made in the image of the eternal and infinite creator. Jesus isn't trying to restore or rebuild the physical structure of the temple, but he is getting to a place of restoration, of relationship, the relationship that was broken in the garden where the original exile happened. There's a calling for us as we consider our own longing, longing for the Lord. He's always calling us to himself. I love the way that Val put it just a couple weeks back as we were in Psalm 139, that God is always oriented toward us. Even if we are not oriented toward him, he is always oriented toward us. He's inviting us on a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage out of exile back to the relationship that was before sin entered into the world. The returning to the garden where trust is as natural as breathing in and breathing out. I love the first part of this psalm. How lovely is your dwelling place? Anybody use the word lovely? 
All right, all right. I have to confess, when I use it, it's usually with some sarcasm um, or uh, a little cynical tone. I'm like, the dog just peed all over the floor. How lovely. <laughs> or that there is some drama in a relationship that is happening. And I'm saying, lovely. Mm. But this psalm has helped draw me back to the definition, the actual state of lovely. I'm sure you all use it in much better ways than I do. But for me, in journeying through this psalm over the last couple of weeks, lovely is defined as exquisite beauty. And the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is one of my favorite Bibles, which I've gotten to read to Riley and Avery for several years now, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and it's beautifully illustrated. If you don't have it, it's okay to have that book as an adult, just saying. It captures the beauty of Scripture pointing to Jesus from the beginning to the end of the book. Every story whispering Jesus. It says, As God breathed life into Adam and Eve, they opened their eyes, and the very first thing they saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I have ever made. God loved them with all of his heart, and they were lovely because he loved them. Something can be lovely for the simple reason that God loves them. Someone can be lovely because God loves them. We all can be lovely because God loves us. Better is one day of knowing that you are lovely than a thousand of believing the lie that you're not. Psalm 139 pulls that image for us again to be fearfully and wonderfully made. Such knowledge is too wonderful, right, to be knit together in God seeing us from before we breathed our first breath. But we are lovely because he loves us. Makes me think of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus says in the same way, love your neighbor as yourself. And how amazing is it when we can see our neighbors as lovely? And we do life together in community, and it is even more lovely when we are gathered together and sharing life. The Holy Spirit today is drawing me back over and over again to 
as yourself? Can you first see yourself as lovely? Maybe someone here needs to hear that today. You are lovely. I want to challenge you this week as you read through this psalm, as we pray it together, to see yourself as God's dwelling place. That lovely place is you. How lovely is your dwelling place? When you look in the mirror getting ready for work or for school or whatever it is you're doing this week, just look at yourself and say you are lovely. God is speaking that over you. Not in a way that we think of ourselves greater than anyone else because he sees every one of us as lovely, not because of what we've done, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. You are lovely. And this morning as we come to the table, we remember the work that he did on our behalf that we could be brought back from exile. The exile when Adam and Eve believed the lie and had to leave the garden. Jesus came and gave his life for us, that his body would be broken for us, that we could be restored to relationship, that garden-like relationship, even in the here and now. That as we take a piece of the bread, remembering his broken body, and we dip it in the cup, that we, that his blood was shed for us, that we can actually be the place that God would choose to dwell. So as we receive today the bread and the cup, listen for his voice. Maybe it's whispering, maybe it's loud in your ear. You are lovely. You are lovely. You are lovely because I love you. Let's pray. God, we give thanks that you reveal yourself through the ages, through your word. God, speaking to us, reminding us daily as we pray this together, that you have seen fit for us to be your dwelling place. So open our hearts as you open our eyes and open our ears. 
God, to receive your presence. We receive it through the bread and the cup today. That your love is active and moving among us. And as we are able to love ourselves, we then are able to love our neighbors and we see the expanse of your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we give thanks in your name. Amen. I invite you to come to the table. You can come down the side here um, and Sam will tear off a piece of the bread and are we having them tear it? Are you tearing it? <laughs> We're going to let you tear it. Tear off the bread and dip it into the cup. You can take it back to your seat and receive. You can, yeah, just take a posture of prayer to hear those words from the Lord. I do apologize. I don't think we have a gluten-free option today, so we'll... I do apologize for that. We invite you to come to the table.